Hi, my name is Michael Tuck, and I am the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. We are going to be continuing in John. So let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to John chapter 2, the end of John, uh, verses 23 through 25. Um, and as you guys are turning there, um, I was told I should open with a joke, but I honestly don't know any good jokes. So the only joke I know is two guys walk into a bar, one says, ouch, Ba-dooch. anyways, I tried, I tried. Um, today we are going to be going through the end of John chapter 2 and going, getting into John chapter 3. And um, we're going to be focusing a lot on Nicodemus and his opportunity to meet Jesus Christ and what that meant to him, how he responded to that, and some things that we can take away of our own time with meeting with the Lord. Um, before we start, I'm going to pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. We ask that you help us to understand it according to your will, that you help us to apply it, um, and not just hear it, but to apply it, to walk forward in obedience with it. Um, Lord, that you would speak through me, through the Spirit, Lord, that you speak through me, and that you be glorified in in everything that is said here. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we talked, or two weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus went to the temple and he drove out the people that were selling animals. He drove out the people that were exchanging money and he had just a fiery passion for God and his house. And so this is after that has taken place. Uh, We're gonna start in the end of chapter two. And Jesus is starting to get into his ministry. He's starting to do miracles. But he's holding something back, and we're going to talk about that. So uh, verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. And when they saw the signs that he was doing, uh, when they saw the signs he was doing, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for the, he himself knew what was in man. Jesus had his ministry that was starting off. He was doing his miracles. People were seeing him. These signs were just miraculous, and people were just amazed by it, and they started believing in his name. But Jesus Christ wasn't ready to say, okay, well, I'm going to show you everything. I'm going to show you all the miracles, everything. I'm going to show you who I really am, because he knew it was at their heart. And now a lot of the people that were there were Jews, and they were, the Jews were looking for this Messiah, this coming king to conquer the Roman Empire that they were underneath. And Jesus Christ knew this. I, I believe is what it's saying. Is Jesus Christ knew this. He didn't want them to take him and say, okay, well, you're going to be our king. We're going to establish you and you are going to come mighty and powerful. And so he held himself back from telling them that. Because these Jews were desperate. They were waiting for this Messiah to come. But... It wasn't in the way that Jesus Christ was coming that they were looking for. So he held that back. He held that back. So now we're going to get into uh, chapter 3, which is going to be the bulk of the message today. Um, we, are, uh, we come upon this character named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is 
a, um, a curious man. And a lot like us, like what we should be, a curious man trying to figure out who is this guy that's come in and he's doing all these signs. He's doing all these wonders. I need to pay attention to him. All right. So we're going to go ahead and start in chapter three, verses one. I'm going to read through and then we're going to go back through and talk about it a little bit. Verse one. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these things, uh, do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. All right, this is a lot. A lot going on here. We're going to dissect this a little bit, but first, before we get into this, I want to talk about a couple uh, things of this, little elements of this passage. So first of all, who is Nicodemus? Who is Nicodemus? And why is he coming to Jesus? So first of all, Nicodemus, it says in the text that he is a Pharisee. But not only a Pharisee, he is a man of the Pharisees, so sent by the Pharisees. But also, man of the Pharisees can mean that he is part of the highest or the best group of Pharisees. Um, he's also a ruler in the Sanhedrin and a teacher. So he, he should know his stuff. He's a Pharisee. He knows the Bible inside and out. He grew up with it. And just a few things that he believed is he believed in the inspiration of the Old Testament. He believed in the coming Messiah. He believed in miracles. And he also believed in the resurrection, not to be mistaken with the Sadducees that didn't believe because they were sad, you see. All right. Uh, <laughs> the Talmud records that Nicodemus uh, was one of the four richest men in Jerusalem. So he has great power. He, he's a teacher. He's a leader. Um, he was also um, a member of the aristocratic family that had furnished the Hasmonean king with his ambassadors to Pompeii in 63 BC. This is outside the Bible history about who he is. So he is prominent in history on top of that. So we see Nicodemus here for the first time, but he actually comes in later as well. He comes in 
in Jesus' defense in the Sanhedrin. It also comes later where he anointed Jesus' burial. So Nicodemus, this isn't just a one-time, I come to you, Jesus, I'm asking who you are, and I'm leaving, never talking to you again. He's curious. He comes back. It's not just, it's not just him trying to get by Jesus or, you know, um, get around his teaching. He's trying to understand. A second thing about this uh, section, at the very end, in verse 14, it talks about the serpent and the staff. Do you guys remember in, in Numbers 21 where we have the people going into the wilderness being led by Moses and they're grumbling and they're complaining and they're saying, oh, God, why did you bring us out here? And then God's like, well, I'm going to send fiery serpents to come and start killing you guys. And they're like dying left and right. And, and so Moses erects this serpent made of brass on a pole and says, whoever looks at it will be healed. I mean, that's convenient. Just look at it and you'll be healed. And so we have this story going on. And uh, today we have uh, that being used in, in many different ways. We have the serpent on, the, on this rod. Have you guys seen it in modern day medicine, things of that nature? Okay. But it first started in the Bible. And then um, later on, 700 years later in 2 Kings, we have this brass snake that they're still worshiping, okay? The snake that brought them healing, they forgot it was God that gave them the healing, and they started worshiping this snake that's on a pole, okay? All right, so we have the first instance of the snake, the second instance of the snake, and then we have different people adapting it. Uh, we have, go to the next one. You guys ever seen that before, right there? The rod of Asclepius? Okay, so this is the rod of Asclepius, and on the left is, is just by itself, but on the right, that is an EMT symbol, okay, emergency medical transportation symbol. And so that got there because Asclepius was a skilled physician who practiced uh, in Greece around 1200 BC. He was, if you guys have read Homer's Iliad, he's described in there. And it became a symbol of medicine later on. You, okay, we got the snake on a pole, and we look into it, we're, we're saved, we're healed. Okay, medicine later on. But somewhere along the line, it got skewed, and then you have this one, the Staff of Hermes. You guys ever seen that one too? Okay, this one is also used in America to represent medicine, to represent medical things as well. And it goes back and forth sometimes. But the interesting thing is, this is the staff of Hermes. It's not the staff uh, of the rod of, um, of Asclepius. It's a little bit different. And so Hermes was a great messenger of the gods in the Greek religion, but he was also um, the god of the cunning thieves of weights and measures, of inventions, and commerce in general. Which is very interesting that that is used for medicine when that refers to the god of commerce. I thought that was a little thing. So, if you go to the next slide, we have medicine on the left and business on the right, okay? This might not be on purpose. I don't really think they're just like, hey, we're gonna do business with medicine, but this happens a lot, which is interesting. So just so you guys know the distinguishing between those two and how they came to be. So. Now that we've covered just a little bit of history behind two different things we're going to talk about, we're going to come back to that in a minute. Um, 
I want to talk to you about three different applications from this text. I'm going to do it a little differently. Usually, Jimmy goes through all of it and then has three points at the end. I'm actually going to walk back through it and teach it and give you the points in, in the process of that. So, th- these are applications of how to come to Christ from Nicodemus's interactions with Jesus. The first one is this. We must come before God with a heart that is humble and one that seeks him. We must come before God with a heart that is humble and one that seeks him. Okay? So even the way, beginning in verse 1, that Nicodemus is described, he's described as a ruler. He's described as a man that is a Pharisee of Pharisees, that he is powerful. He did not come in humility. He did not come really asking any questions, even though Jesus gave him an earful. He came just to see who this person who was the same as him was. And it says, even in verse 10, it says, um, oh, not verse 10, sorry. Well, it says that, that he was expecting another person like him, a teacher, not someone that was greater than that. So it says here also that Nicodemus came at night. And that can have a couple implications with that. Nicodemus coming at night could be that Nicodemus was trying to be respectful to Jesus, saying, okay, you might have worked a long day. I don't know your schedule. So, and I worked a long day, so I'm going to come at night and be respectful to you. But it also could mean that he's coming later because he doesn't want to be seen. He doesn't want to be seen by people. He doesn't want them to know that this Pharisee is coming to Jesus he doesn't want to know that he might be questioning things, wondering who this guy is. And, and so because he's doing this, he's not coming to him in humility. He's not coming to him giving everything up. He, he's, he's saying, I am going to come in secret. And for us, we can look at this and be like, how do we come to Christ? How do we come to Jesus Christ? Do we come with humility or do we come in pride? Do we come already having the answers or do we come seeking the answers? When we come to Jesus Christ without the answers, in Matthew eleven twenty eight says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. We recognize that we have a need. We recognize that we need answers to questions. And when we come in humility, we can be taught. We can be healed. We can have the burden lifted. And Nicodemus, he'll get there eventually, but that's not how he came, okay? So, number one, we must come before God with a heart that is humble and one that seeks after him. The second thing that we can take from Nicodemus' interaction with Jesus is number two, is we must allow Jesus to go straight to the problem instead of avoiding it. We must allow Jesus to go straight to the problem instead of avoiding it. In Nicodemus' case, it was the need for a rebirth. Have you ever gone before God asking something and you get like three sentences in and you're like, wait, that's not why I've come here. You're, you're teaching me something different. Sort of like, uh, say if uh, a friend of yours, 
you, you talk on the phone a lot or you, or you just say, hey, let's, let's go for a walk and you start talking about one thing and, you, and it's on your mind. It's like f- you're focused on it. Um, and then all of a sudden you get to another thing and then to another thing and then to another thing. And by the end of the conversation, you come back and you realize, man, I was stuck on this, but really it was over here that I needed to get to. And so when we come to God, when we come to Jesus, many times we just need to stop. Instead of saying, these are the things on my heart, and say, and just stop and say, God, what do you want to teach me? What do you want to teach me? Nicodemus' reaction, it was sort of, sort of like, what's going on? Because this is how it goes. Jesus answered, uh, he came and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, in verse 2, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. And then all of a sudden, Jesus answers him and says this, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Where did that come from? It's like, I'm just saying you're a teacher, and now you're saying I need to be born again. Where are we going with this? So what he's doing is he's jumping into the root of the problem with him. And so from this, we have a few things. We got um, this new birth. He says that you need to be born again. And born again can be translated a couple ways. Born from above is one way it can be translated, which the Greek is not really specific about if this born from above or born again. But I believe from the way that Nicodemus is talking to him later on that it's really, he's saying being born again physically is how he's understanding it. Because if he was born from above, he would say like, well, how can I follow the sky? You know, he's not thinking that. He's thinking, okay, well, how do I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? And he's, he's making him think. And, and in this, he, he sort of reiterates it again. And he says, Later on, he says, truly, truly, sorry, um, mm-hmm. I sort of lost it. There we go, Tru- uh, verse five. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Okay, so he's saying the same thing again, but a little differently. He's saying water and spirit. Some people say that the water means, you know, you have water when you come out as a baby, and then also later on by the spirit, a regeneration of that as well. It could mean that or water in the Old Testament is talking about cleansing, being forgiven, the cleansing of yourself, as well as the spirit who's being born by the spirit. So it could mean either or, but I think even in Nicodemus's mind, he's still thinking, hmm, I don't really get this. And Jesus is sort of disappointed I mean, he, he's, he's come to him, he's, he's, he knows, Jesus knows what's on his mind, and he's starting to tell him these truths, and he's like, oh man, I don't get this. Wouldn't that be terrible if, if the person in the community that everyone looked up to, someone came to him and told him something that he had no clue about, and it was like life-shattering. It was like the most important truth in, in the entire universe, and he's like, I honestly have no clue what you're talking about, and this is what's happening this man, this Pharisee, Jesus Christ says that he is the teacher of Israel and he doesn't understand what this means, even though it's alluded to. In Ezekiel 36, 26, it says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I'll put within you 
uh, a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This was a teacher, and he didn't see this. He didn't connect the dots. And so when, when, we, when Nicodemus came to Jesus Christ, he was flipped upside down. He was taken from this man of high stature to a man of humility. God was, Jesus Christ was showing him, hey, you don't know everything, so sit back and relax and, and let me show you what I want to teach you. Let me talk to you about this rebirth. And so when we go to Jesus, we need to allow him to go straight to the problem instead of avoiding it ourselves, okay? So the third thing we can take away from Nicodemus and his time with Jesus is that we must accept that the only way to eternal life is through Jesus Christ and him alone. We must accept that the only way to eternal life is through Jesus Christ and him alone. We have Nicodemus came at night. He didn't come in humility, he came in pride. And then he starts by trying to figure out what's going on and Jesus Christ goes straight to the point and humbles him. And then he says something that is crazy. He's saying that, Jesus Christ says, I am the way to eternal life. I am the way to eternal life. No other way, no other means, no other person. You cannot come by doing good works. I am the way to eternal life. And there's, there's some things that he starts talking about. He starts giving um, himself different titles. Okay? The first one, I don't know for sure about this one, okay? He says in, in verse 11, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. I've read through a few things on this. Some people might say it's the disciples have seen the signs, and so we have the testimonies of the disciples that go along with this. But I would I, I asked Jimmy about this this morning. What if it's the Trinity he's referring to? What if it's... The, he's going Trinity on, on him. And he's like, uh, what's going on? You know, you just said we, and there's only one person here. What's going on? And, and he's sort of bringing into the mindset that there's something bigger than Nicodemus happening. That something that he can't understand with his own eyes. That when flesh begets flesh, you can't understand until you're born of the spirit. You are given a rebirth. And, and so... Um, and he said, even says here, I have told you earthly things and you do not believe. So how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So I give him a glimpse of that little heavenliness. And then Jesus refers to himself as the son of man in verse 13. The son of man comes from Daniel. And he is saying here that he is the one that is coming in power. He is the one who will conquer, but not the way that Nicodemus might expect not the way that he is looking for. He's looking for this Messiah to come in power. But Jesus Christ first comes as a humble servant. And that's what he's showing him. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, calling himself. That's one of his favorite titles, the Son of Man that he calls himself. And the last thing he talks about is a serpent. We're, gonna, and we're coming back to that now, the serpent. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So we're back to Numbers 21. 
And we're looking at this from a whole different point of view because Jesus Christ is now retranslating something that has never been translated before by anyone else. If you read through the Old Testament, the rod and the snake, it's like, okay, that was there and it's gone. What does that actually mean? And Jesus Christ is taking that one point and saying, hey, I have a secret that you have no clue about. You, I have a secret that you do not understand. Okay, so let's break this down. We have this brass serpent on a rod. Okay, this serpent was put on a pole and represented what he's saying himself when he's supposed to be lifted up and die on the cross. The serpent was a, a symbol of sin. Okay, it was a symbol of sin. You got the serpent in the beginning of the Old Testament, and then you also have what he's made out of is brass. Okay, and the cool thing, the interesting thing about brass is that it can sustain fire, okay? So it was a Levitical symbol of judgment. You have a brass serpent that is going to be judged. And Jesus Christ is saying, I am that one. He says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus Christ came and he took on that judgment, the fiery judgment of God on all the sin, on himself for us, so that we could what? That we could have eternal life. And I don't mean a little bit extra time. I don't mean a good life where we have things that we can do that can, you know, make people do better things and, you know, build a bigger nation or even for the Jews to reestablish them just as a, as a nation themselves. But to give them eternal life that is not here for the moment, but that will last forever. An eternal life to where death isn't the end an eternal life that we will be resurrected again and given life with him. Jesus Christ was showing that he made a way. And this was, this was a hard thing for Nicodemus to, to get his mind around. He had to accept that Jesus Christ was one part of the Trinity, if that's the right way of interpreting it, the son of man that talks about in Daniel, and also the serpent becoming sin and having the judgment put on him so that we could have eternal life. And so, in summary, in summary, Nicodemus' travels through this, what we can learn from it, that when we come to Jesus, we need to come in humility. Two, we need to allow him to reveal the root of the problem in our lives. And in this case, Nicodemus, he needed rebirth. He needed to be given life through the Spirit because he, he can't understand it unless he has the Spirit. And then also, we need to recognize that Jesus is the only way that we can have eternal life. Nothing that we could do in this life other than through Jesus Christ can we have eternal life. And that's been the struggle in the Bible ever since the beginning. We have Adam and Eve who ate the fruit and then they tried to make their own dominion. They made cities. They made um, the Tower of Babel later on. You have all these cities and people and men trying to make themselves gods throughout all of these generations. 
And God's saying, you might try that. You might try to extend your life and live on and on and on. But even if you try that, my spirit will only dwell with you 120 years. And that, that's, uh, some other things on top of that that could be. But anyways, God, God is saying, no matter how much you try to extend your life or, or even be God yourself, there's no way other than entrusting your life to me and knowing that I am God. I'm pointing to Jesus, not me. That he is God and that there's no other way. You can try all you want through your good works, through you, through your beliefs and, and how you think. Even some people, even in incarnation and, and how they think they're going to live on and on. It's only through Jesus Christ that we can have eternal life. And he, he's saying this. So the question for us, the question for us is, have we come to God in humility? Have we come to God asking him, what do we need? Have we come to God trusting that he holds the keys to eternal life and no one else? It's not that we don't question him ever, but do we come to him asking for answers instead of giving him answers? Do we come to him in humility saying, God, how am I supposed to attain this eternal life and do we trust him when he tells us through his word that he is the way let's bow our heads and close our eyes Lord we thank you for your word that guides us that shows us our need even when we don't ask for it because you know that we need you and this is all leading up to one of the greatest verses in the Bible, John three sixteen. Before we even get there, you're teaching us truths. You're teaching us that eternal life comes from you. And I pray that right now that you would search our hearts, that you would search our minds, and that you would show us what we need. Some of us might not even know what this eternal life is, might not even know what the rebirth means and, and, and how to accept that, and how to understand that. And if that's you right now, I want you to know that you can believe in Jesus Christ. You can believe that he died and rose again. And for you to accept this rebirth, that's all you have to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, saying he is the one that defines right and wrong. He is the one who created all things. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he is not dead anymore, that he was raised from the dead and you will be saved. If that is you, I ask that you do that today. And then there's some of you that have done that, have accepted Christ, but when you go to Christ, you don't really have the humility that you need. You're not coming to him with a heart to listen, but you're coming to him trying to explain all these things away instead of just sitting at his feet and saying, God, show me the answers. Show me what I must do. If that's you, I want you to just pray in your heart and say, God, help me to come before you in humility. 
look at the root of the problem that I have and, and just guide me on how you, want us, how you want me to live my life, how you want me to love others, how you want me to do whatever he's speaking to you right now. And Lord, we thank you so much for giving us this scripture to remind us to be humble, to remind us that we can trust in you, that you are the son of man, that you are the one that has come to give us eternal life. Help us to live in that eternal life, to not live in the sin that we were for, but to be cleansed and to be living by the spirit that gives life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing here locally in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.